All right. What is up, Sign Up Stronger community? Um, we have, which seems to be the most formal uh, podcast episode coming up because Mark and I are both like, yeah, it's going to be fun. So uh, we got Mark Burek. How do you pronounce your last name? Burek. Burek. Okay. There we yeah, go. Yeah. Like so you're saying up, Burek. like Burek. Yeah. I see I'm screwing up already, guys. This is going to be a good one. You're right. Uh, I no, think uh... 90% of people say it wrong like even even my friends that know how to pronounce my name oh, okay they just they still say burek mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> so, no, my, my worst one my last name is rouse and the, the worst one i've ever gotten was somebody asked how do you pronounce it i'm like oh it's like house but with an r and they're like hauser I'm like how, <laughs> how do you yeah sure hauser my name's her <laughs> anyways we got mark on um I don't even know how to introduce you. Like I, I know some of your background and I'm just trying to choose like one thing to introduce you as. And there's like 18 different titles. <laughs> so maybe uh, for the, the un- uninitiated, you can uh, give us a, a brief history of Mark. Sure. Uh, I guess I'm a lifetime coach and athlete and currently in the volleyball world, I'm probably most known for better at beach. It's a, a company that we, created and gives opportunities for everybody to get better at the game fast between coaches, athletes. We started uh, creating some online courses before COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, there was no choice but to step on the accelerator uh, and go full throttle in that direction. And so, and now we've got a really thick online video training program, course catalog. Uh, We've got seven day camps. We've got three day camps. We go to a bunch of different facilities and cool places around the world. And, uh, yeah, other than that, I played pro for a while, both indoor and beach. And I love coaching. I'm passionate about it. And more and more now I love talking about business, investing, leadership, and and all the roles that like I'm in and I'm evolving into. So I'm much I talk about bump set spike a lot less nowadays. And I talk about, you know, how you can shape your mentality, how you can shape your leadership skills and whatever you do on the volleyball court. I, that's not really important to me. It's, did you take anything you learned on the court and did you apply it to the rest of your life in your relationships, in in your workplace, in your leadership roles? Because if you can't make the translation from your sport to being a better human, you're a useless subpar athlete and i don't want to share that pronoun with you (laughs) yeah no i love it so let's dive into it so when did that that shift start for you and i'm sure we'll dive in and out of the history of all this development but uh that mentality shift to me when i talk to people that have gone through it has typically Mm -hmm. happened kind of later in their athletic career was it was that same for you or was it you know you've always thought about this early on or how did that work for you ah I always thought about it later on, but I, you know, I hit the gas pedal on it and I, and I made a commitment to it later, but, but early on when I was playing overseas, for example, I wanted to coach juniors at the same time that I was playing something about me always said, if there's just a ton of people watching me play, but I don't have a platform or a say in making their lives actually better. If I'm just entertainment, that's not what I want out of my life. You know, if if I'm going to be a good player, I want to get the platform, become a good player, compete, have fun, beat a bunch of people, have some battles, entertain some crowds, but then take that platform and say, okay, now that I have the platform, now that I have the space and people are watching and paying attention, how do we have a real effect on the world? Yeah. 
Um, and well, let's just dive into it. Um, what kind of effects do you want to have? I mean, you talked about um, the your definition of the word athlete and the impact you want to have, but like, you know, in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, when somebody looks back, what kind of what kind of impact would you want to say that you've had on the volleyball community and like the athletic community at large? We're getting deep already. Yeah. Like you know, I, I, I'd say I'm kind of a, a born teacher. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but I, I started, I tell the story a lot, but I started coaching when I was 13. I was just the older kid in the summer sports camps. I had graduated out of those 8 a.m. to 12 noon. And then some people said, hey, do you want to be like the camp counselor now and and work with the little, little kids? And I said, Absolutely. And I loved it. And I had a passion for it. And it fired me up to see like all these little kids and to be in a leadership role always felt really good for me. So uh, I saying that like you're going to change the world or, or have an effect on volleyball, that it, it feels pretty good for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ego, <laughs> you know, but for me, I just love teaching. Yeah. It's, it's where my mind steers. And I was talking to somebody yesterday and I was like, well, I was always the younger brother growing up. And mm-hmm. I always had this, this desire to have my own younger brother because I was the youngest of four, of four boys. And I never got to have somebody that I could teach that I could mold. And my brothers had a full hand in raising me, uh, teaching me right from wrong, showing me, you know, a bunch of guy and world stuff. And I wanted that, but didn't have that opportunity. And I think maybe I found that in coaching. So where, where do I want to go? Where do I want to head? Everybody wants to make the world a better place. I hope, you know, unless you're like the guy that Alfred was talking about in Batman. Like some people burn, just, man. That's it. That's <laughs> real burn. Sitting there with my big rubies. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I, that I also say, and I keep in my mind is, on my tombstone, you know, on my gravestone, at, at no point did I want Mark, the volleyball guy, to be on my gravestone. You know, I I want a list of cool things, cool stories, uh, thing, things that I could tell my grandkids mm-hmm. and my favorite professor in college. Worst teacher possible, but my favorite professor. <laughs> he he had all of these stories from so many different parts of the world. Like he, he was in the army. So he, he went to war. Uh, He was an engineer. He became the CEO of like a billion dollar company. Then he didn't really enjoy that anymore. So he started doing scuba diving and he once held the record for like the deepest scuba dive or something. And this guy just had story after story after story that were so unconnected. And I was like, that's my hero. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want to do. And so uh, so I kind of chase learning a lot of different categories, skills, everything. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know. It's one of those intangible things where it's hard to describe. It's like, what do you want to do? It's like everything. Fun, fun stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think well, me included in this, but uh, a lot of people get stuck doing one thing and like being wanting to be the best or wanting to be a high level or whatever it is. And then five, 10 years goes by and it's like, Oh, right. There's so many things out there. I could be doing at the same time. And it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to find that line. And it, and it's short and it goes by fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I, you know, I'm talking like an old man now, but uh, it's still a lot of, a lot of parts of me still feel young, but it's just like, I spent 
18, 18 years playing volleyball. And dang, that was, that was much longer than anticipated, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and that's, that's 18 years. And if you're lucky, if you're lucky, that's a fourth, that's a full quarter of your life that I like dedicated full on at 100% to, to one game where you bounce a ball off your body and sometimes bounce it off harder, you know? And so it's, it was cool. It was good. But now, now I'm down to whatever it is, three quarters of my life left to, to see what else I can do and what other stories I can make. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, I've talked about this um, on this channel a decent amount. Like I lost my dad pretty early and it gives this weird perspective Sorry. of, Oh no, no it's, it was, well, appreciate that. Um, but it gives an interesting perspective on how long we've got and just, you know, I'll do it in next year, next decade, whatever it is, you know, I'll start getting, I'll start getting healthy. I'll start working out for some people. I'll start doing the things that I like. I'll start spending less time at work and, you know, quit my job and do the things I want to do. And it's time just kind of goes by no matter what. And uh, it's, it goes away really quick. One of the, uh, one of the posts that I just saw was what's, what's the number one way to, to stay poor. And it's, start tomorrow mm. yeah <laughs> like that. whatever you do my my brother always did it too he was just like the people who say that they have a new year's resolution and they announce their new year's resolution before new year's gets there he goes they're not going to do it yeah. the people who want to make a change and want to do something they get to business now yeah. so to to have a goal or a situation where you know your life's going to improve you know it's going to make you a better person and you're like yeah, I'll, I'll be a better person starting in 41 days. Mm. Like mm-hmm. grow up and do it now. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So love it. We're just, we're just full of Jocko quotes today. We're just going <laughs> to discipline equals freedom, baby. No, it's good. I love it. Um, there's so many ways, so many things I want to ask. And like, we're, again, we're going to bounce over. So uh, listeners at home, I apologize for uh, being sporadic in my head, but we're going to get to some cool places. And there's there's a list of things I want to ask, Mark. Um, one is coming from uh, somebody that is as, as lowly as a volleyball player as myself and never played in such professional leagues. What's it like playing overseas? I've talked to Sam Pedlow a little bit about this, but uh, I, I, I always love hearing different experiences and all these kind of crazy <laughs> stories you guys have. Playing overseas is is so much fun, but it's so different for everybody. Yeah. Because it, it de- okay. Number one, it depends on your team. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, like hell in my mind, hell or heaven is only defined. It's not defined by your environment. It's only defined in who's next to you. Like you could be in the worst possible environment, but if all the guys next to you are legit and fun and awesome and like singing and hearty and bro, you're, you're going to have a great time. Mm. You could be in paradise and somebody who's nagging you or negative talking about it's too sunny. It's too humid. You know, like there's water around now there's mosquitoes. Like sh- shut up. You're making this terrible. Yeah. So it's always, it's always by who's next to you. So you can be in the middle of whatever name a funny Eastern Bloc country that Americans would laugh at, but you could sure. be in the middle there and have a great time yeah. for me. I was in Sweden. I had an awesome time my first year. Uh, I got to be in a leadership role there as well because I graduated exercise science. So mm, the guy that graduated before I got to George Mason University, he was the player coach there. 
And he was like, I know the school that you came from. I know the training you have. And I know we speak the same language. So I want you coming here. And since you're a strength and conditioning coach, you can, uh, you can run that program. You can be the strength and conditioning coach and, and write us all the programs. And I was like, Amazing. yeah, that's cool. I'm down with that. <laughs> Casual. Yeah. And that's when I started drinking coffee at 22 years old because there's <laughs> nothing to do. There's shockingly nothing to do. You're like everybody else on, on my team. There weren't a lot of uh, full professionals. I think there were three of us maybe, you know, and a few people making some, some part-time money from the club, but so you play, you practice two hours a day and I, I would turn it into like six hours a day because I would go and I would lift and I probably overworked myself, but just wanted to be as good and as fit as possible. Well, you've got the time. Yeah. Uh, and all the rest of the time, everybody else is at work teaching, you know, doing something, going to school. So you, a lot of times you get really lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really feel lonely, but I was just kind of enjoying it. And Sweden, Swedish people love coffee. And at 22, I started drinking coffee because there's nothing to do but look at the snow, sit in the hotel that I was that I was living in, like a family mom and pop hotel, and just drink coffee. So yeah. Uh, so that's that was fun being able to be in a new country. And if you're kind of outgoing, I'm pretty outgoing to be to be the different one in an environment, you know, like you're the one with the cool accent. Now you're the one that everybody wants to talk to automatically because you're so different. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was fun. And and it was similar in Norway, but Croatia was a trip for me, Croatia. I went to the bring it tour tryouts. And so that's where they put you, they put a ton of athletes all in one gym who probably just graduated or want to get on a new team and they have you just battle against each other. I mean, oh. it's like three quarters of it is back row threes. Oh, and then you're playing okay. some success. Yeah. They're looking for guys who can take big swings yeah. and who look athletic. And so in this gym, then they park I don't know, 50, 60 coaches, depending on, on who's there that day. And they just watch you play. And eventually somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, all right. You come with me. We're flying a Latvia today. You come with me. We're flying to Sweden today. Wow. Uh, so I almost got on a team in a Czech Republic and then they slept on it and they're like, mm, he's not that good compared to our junior up and comer. So like our junior would be, would be cheaper. And so we don't really need him, but we'll keep him on the list. And then the, the agents said, Hey, I, I know you didn't get picked up here. There were only four guys that got picked up out of that whole tour. But oh, wow. if you can stay in Europe, We've got your film and we know that there's a place for you. Oh, I was like, Hell yeah. Let's travel around Europe. So yeah. I went along the, one of the guys is like, I wasn't hoping to get a contract. I just wanted to come to Europe and play some volleyball. <laughs> and so I followed him and we went up the Italian coast and then over to the Croatian coast. And I was like, yeah, I've never been there. Let's go to Croatia. What the hell? Yeah. And I, the whole time I told my agent, I was like, Hey, I'm going through all these towns. I want to stay fit. So if there's anybody, you know, that I can work out with is going through summer training. And they set me up with this team. I started going to their summer workouts just because it was a stop along the way. Sure. And coach is like, are you, are you playing anywhere this season? I was like, maybe right here. Yeah. I am now. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I, we signed the contract and I got on the team in Croatia. Wow. So I'm always, I have no concept of the timeline on these kind of things. So you said like people just get plucked from that tournament or day or whatever it is. And they just go and they sign and, you know, we're on the move now. Is it that fast? 
literally you can get in the team manager or head coach's car from the tryout. Like, hey, go back to the hostel that you're staying in, grab your bags, and let's drive two or three countries back home and I'll introduce you to the team. Amazing. Um, Sometimes it's like, hey, you're flying out tomorrow and you might head back with the team. Uh, practice with them for a few days and then and then they say eh, not quite a fit so it it could happen any number of ways sure. but they can just grab you for a tryout they can pull you over and these aren't usually the big money teams the mm. big money teams like italy poland russia um pro a france maybe bundesliga maybe might recruit from here but all those other ones they need they need a national team sticker, you know, on your Jersey. They need to know that you're playing or training with the national team or that you've performed at a very high level in another league. And then you'll get that, that call somewhere along that route. Got it. Yeah. Whole new, whole new, uh, whole new world over there. (laughs) This is 15 years ago. Yeah. So I don't know if it's exactly the same, but even like the, the, I don't the the pro leagues over there and just their whole structure of like the super league and all that kind of stuff. I, I talked to the odd person um that's just working their way up and they're describing all of these teams and sub leagues and substructures. And I'm like, okay, I need a map just to understand what level we're on, let alone everything else. It's it's yeah. wild. I'm very jealous. Like yeah, just incredibly jealous. Yeah. Imagine you just gotta imagine it like baseball uh like american baseball where there's there's an sorry we're in canada we only talk hockey and i'm just kidding (laughs) you guys have the exact same thing though oh well there you go you know like you got your c your b your a league and then you get called up to the show right you know so you compete at one level and you do good enough there you get bumped up to the next level sometimes within a club sometimes to another club with a different contract. And then at some point money increases and you get called to the biggest money opportunity you have. And at every moment, all you gotta do is perform. Nice. Okay. So um, I've got one or two people that are in this structure right now. So it's coming from someone that's been exposed to this a lot. Um, what are the things that get underappreciated from the, uh, the advancement side? So like, you know, so somebody wants to work on their vertical and, you know, their spike approach and their speed and all that kind of stuff. What are the kind of non-tangibles that the coaches and staff um, look for in that kind of setting from your perspective? Putting you on the spot. Yeah. Intangibles to me are always the guys that do the extra stuff Mm. and do it consistently. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year after year. Those are the ones that are just flat out going to improve. And there's no way that people don't see that. You know, if you're if you're already at the gym before the coach is there, before everybody else is there, and you've already got a stack of balls and you're doing some kind of setting drills, and then they see that every day, and then they see that every week. If you're the person who's doing your own workouts on the side and you're inviting other people, they start seeing that. And they're just like, he's putting in the work. The people who you see putting in work, you want them to succeed. Yeah you're almost start cheering for them more than anybody else because you're like, man, they're earning it. I can, I can see it. I can see it. So when they improve, they have something to point at and go, yep, that's why. Cause he's putting in that work. So intangibles are something that I've always 
talked about is how can you steal reps where no one else can find them? Oh, I like that. Yeah. If, if everybody else goes to get water and they sit there and they chat near the water jug, can you go chug one cup of water, you know, spill half of it out, who cares, and get six more jump serves while everybody else sits around and tells fart jokes? Mm-hmm. Like you do that for 300 days a year. Now you're up, uh, what are we, 1,800 more serves than anybody else on your team. Sorry, folks, video cuts out every once in a while. There we go, I'm back. Um, yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. How much does at that level, I'm actually, I'm always curious about this because I know it changes level to level. How much does the kind of body language and mental aspect uh, play into a coach's decision at that level in your mind? So let's say like it's raw team by team, versus... it's player by player, coach by okay. coach. It's yep. if you're a dick, you're a dick. Yep. Like people see that they're like, you're, you're ruining things. You're creating bad relationships. Uh, you're, the players on your team won't root for you. Like if mm-hmm. you can't get along with the people next to you, or if you don't 100% outwork them and, or you can't get along with them, you're, you're going to get booted. Got to like, be one it, or the other. You have and, to be so beyond excellent. And so like they're proving why you're allowed to push them because it. you showed up early. You stayed late. You got the extra workouts. Like now you're allowed to push them, but people still do not like being pushed. Got it. You know, there's 1% of people in every single in- industry less that push themselves to be the best version that they can possibly be. Doesn't matter the industry. And so if we go to professional athletes, they're the 0.8% of volleyball players. Now you got to think, what's the top 1% of professional volleyball players? Right. Where do they go? Those are the true, true professionals. The people that take care of their body, eat well, watch film on their own, uh, do all of the extra and intangibles. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Don't be a dick, people. (laughs) Or if you do, you better earn it. There you, go. <laughs> there you go. And you're probably not in this, uh, this category of people that we're talking about. Um, I don't know. Cool. I like, that was the thing. I, I pushed people really hard. Yeah. You know? So like when we were peppering, I was like, it's time to go hundred percent before warm up, before anybody's loose or sweating. I was like, you, you have to lay out for that ball mm-hmm. and they're, they barely have their shoes tied. Yeah. You know? So for me, I, I pushed people a lot and I, and I rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but I just never, ever found it acceptable to not give everything like you have to go and do that and i wasn't somebody that stayed quiet about it i i needed i needed to prove to myself that i could hold other people accountable Mm -hmm. and sometimes i did it well sometimes i did it poorly and you know turn some people off but that's okay because i was always pushing yeah you know i always proved it well you have to find your own boundary too right you're never gonna know unless you start pushing that yeah. I love it. Let's let's listen for the baby in the background. There she goes. Um no, let's uh let's use this uh this point to talk about your transition. So we were in Croatia, we're in the European leagues, and then all of a sudden we're back stateside. Um how did that happen? How did that come about for you? I was playing beach every year that I came back. I was obsessed with volleyball you know like during my pro indoor seasons i would take a train two hours 
to Stockholm uh, or an hour and a half when I was in Oslo to go to the indoor beach halls. So like I would practice indoor (laughs) at night to two and a half hours. And in the mornings when I could, I would go and I would try to find people to train with me playing beach uh, two hours away on the trains or, or on a ride. And during the summer, when I came back, I just loved playing beach. I loved both sports for what they were. And the fact that I got to switch every six months kept me really fresh mentally. So at some point, my I had had enough injuries and I had enough cortisone shots uh, in my shoulder, hip, a few torn things. And I said, what's going to be the longest, the longest sport that I could last in and the closest that I could get to the Olympics. And to me, I thought uh, knowing where my shoulder, where my body was, I was like, I could still probably do it in beach. So let's, let's attack this. And uh, so I went, all in on beach and loved it. it. Didn't look back. It was definitely easier on my body. Recovery has always been a big issue for me in terms of like all this hard driven stuff. I would like to find an athlete like me who had that same amount of work ethic and then focus on teaching him to sit down, shut up, play a video game and like go to sleep <laughs> because you can't build the other way. You can't take somebody who just kind of wants to sleep all day, wants to sit around and then get them to the extra reps. Mm -hmm. So if I give, if I find somebody who wants to give 110%, I can use that as a coach and I can say, now, how do we force them to sit down? I got reamed out in college during playoffs because he gave us a couple of rest days. And for college, men's NCAA, that's um, playoffs is when the weather starts turning nice. So we had our first nice sunny days and I was like, let's go play beach. We don't have practice today. (laughs) My coach reamed me out. He's like, you're a captain. I gave you rest days to catch up for studying, for relaxing your body. And you have all of your players out here. So I got reamed out, but like you can take that and you can, you can mold it. Yeah. It's easier to temper than it is to flare up. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It's just the whole idea of, you know, you can't coach height. You can't bring up somebody's motivation very easily. Yeah, no, you you really can't. You can you can set some long goals. You can teach them how to motivate themselves or set their own goals, but until somebody's ready to do it for themselves, not gonna happen. Yeah, and I find the same thing with just like uh, call it general population, uh, the the rec adult leagues that um, I tend to work with a lot. It's I, I love working with people that are really ready for change. And I used to try to convince everyone to change and I still do my best to encourage people, but it's such an uphill battle. And it's such an interesting question of when you ask people why they don't exercise or why they're not eating healthier and they come up with valid barriers, let's call it, you know, time is a barrier, uh, knowledge is a barrier. These things can be barriers, but when it comes down to it, it's just, you have to decide if you're ready for it. And most people aren't for whatever reasons and everyone's got their own reasons. And I totally get that. But uh, working with people that are ready for change is such a rewarding experience because they're oh, so, much, so easier. much part of it. Oh yeah. Oh, so much fun. It's so easy. They're self-motivated. All you got to do is shine a flashlight. They follow, you know? Yeah. yeah. Love that. So yeah, great. Um, now I'm just thinking like a, like a little laser pointer in a cat. <laughs> That's it. You know, that, that was something from, from my college coach too. He's like, all I do as a coach is, is, you know, light the path. 
Mm-hmm. I can't make you walk it. I don't create the path. I just show you where it is. And it's your choice if, if you want to go and follow it. Yeah, There it is. I've shown you where you can go. Now it's up to you to decide which way you want to go or if you go. One, I was having, we, we played in, was it a, it was a verse sixes tournament last weekend just for fun. And uh, one of my clients is there with me and she says, oh, I was, I was killing it. Like your training is doing really well. Just a little soft pat on the back. But um, I'm like, no, I, I just showed you how to squat and load a jump. Like I didn't really do much. You, you did all of the work. I watched you and said, good job. Change this done. Like I, I, I take no credit whatsoever. Our job is like you said, just flashlight. That's it. And there's, there's an advantage when somebody holds you accountable. People don't realize that it's, it's really difficult. So some people can be hard workers. There's, you know, there's lazy people, there's crazy hardworking people, and then there's this middle ground. And in this middle ground, there's a lot of those people that can be pushed if they're in the right environment, they can be, you know, pushed over to that elite hardworking side, but it's who's around them. Who are your friends? Are you going with the flow of them? You know, that's where you're going to find better teams because the the best teams don't all have that 1% of the 1%. They probably have one or two guys that will go after it. And then all the rest, because they've set that standard or the the coaches have set the environment. Now they're like, ah, okay, I guess this is the way we live. And then you see it. Athletes, they retire, they go, they get fat because there's no one pulling them into practice anymore. There's no one saying like, this is what we're doing when we're doing it. Athletes know how to work out. They've been fit their whole life, but it's that accountability thing that a trainer, a coach can offer a program that you can say, spoon feed me and I will do it. Yeah. And a lot of times that's all you have to do. Just set a program, write it down. This is what you're doing. This is when you're doing it. And you got to be there because I'm going to be there. Don't waste my time. Yeah. The, uh, the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, barbell medicine, but they have this uh, phrase that I really like. They call it dietary RPE. Hmm. So it's, uh, and I like to apply just to general <laughs> things. Um, this whole like rating of perceived exertion where it's like a coach sure shows you how to do it and that's all valuable. But if they can take the effort level down on something, whether it's training or dietary interventions or stress management or whatever it is, it's just resources you can use elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So if it's a big deal to get accountable and all it takes is a coach that's saying, hey, come into training, and that can take out a bunch of those uh, stress resources, then all of a sudden stress goes way down. You can allot those training resources elsewhere and you're just a lot happier. I mean, like oh, yeah. the best coaches have coaches for life. Like I've, I'm always in my best place when I have some kind of coach helping me through, not only from a learning perspective, but just a staying on track perspective. Yeah. And even... Uh, even even if you don't have a coach, but you have somebody that holds you accountable or, or a group of people, like uh, for, for a while, I don't really need it anymore, but it helped me wake up earlier to, for workouts because I'll, I'll wake up when I wake up. Honestly, I, I don't need to be Jocko at 3.30 taking pictures of my watch. Like, <laughs> Dude is um, another animal. That, that, that's, that's nice. Maybe I'll get there someday, especially when I have kids and I figure out like, oh, there's... I only have quiet time during this moment, like 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. That's probably the only time you have silence to yourself where you can get stuff done without interruption. So from that aspect, I I can totally understand it. But uh, Brandon and a few other guys were showing up three days a week. I said, I have a garage gym. I said, show up. 
and I knew they were coming. So I had to get up at that time and I had to be there. And then we have a, a good system of ragging on each other. Anytime somebody's fallen off or doesn't show up for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to get abused if you don't show up and you got to deal with that for the next couple of weeks. So you better show uh, up. <laughs> just easier not to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. So I think people could, could find in their friends and their circle groups, just keep posting, keep asking people in your community in your environment in your friend group, like, does somebody want to work out three times a week? Let's find a time that we can all get there, all do it. And you'll get at least a solid two months out of that. And then hopefully you can add a couple to your group. Some people will drop off, but you got to keep that momentum. Yeah. No, I love it. The whole just training partners idea is always fantastic. And you'll learn a bunch more too than you, uh, than you otherwise would. Even just if you have no experience training and you're watching somebody squat and you're thinking, that looks weird. I shouldn't, I should learn about that. Oh, maybe I'm doing that. Uh Oh, video. Oh, I am doing that. So as opposed to just guessing your way through it, having some people to bounce ideas off of, um, Mm -hmm. even if you have no knowledge is uh, a wonderful tool. Yeah. Um, I want one of the many things on my list, um, to touch on is how, how better at beach and the, the Hermosa camp and all this kind of stuff. How did it get started? Like that must've been must have felt like a pipe dream at first, because that's to me at least what I want to do to some capacity in a really good way. And uh, I want to learn how you did it. Yeah. The the original was the company started out as Volley Camp Hermosa. Uh, I'd worked a bunch of volleyball vacations in Europe. And my very first camp that I ran was actually uh, like in New York City Nights uh, beach volleyball tour, because I'm from New York. And I had taken so many of my friends through the whole New York tour. Like, we'll go to Broadway, we'll go to a Mets game. I'll never go to a Yankees game, but I can show you where the stadium is. <laughs> uh, and then people don't know how many beaches there are in New York City, like Queens, Long Island, Long Beach, um, Central Park has them, Brooklyn. Oh. Yeah. So we've got a bunch of courts that people you don't know about if you're not there. So I assumed everybody wants to go to New York at some point in their life. And then there are those people that are nonstop volleyball fanatics. So let's give it a shot. And we did. And it was sloppy and messy and fun. And then a few years later, I said, you know what? I'm going out to California to live the California dream. And I remember when I went there years ago, it was so hard. It was so hard. You showed up and you're like, well, I'm in California. Am I better at volleyball yet? Like, you got to find players. You got to insert yourself into some kind of social group and figure out how to get on the court. You got to find a coach. You got to find a place to stay. So I just wanted to create something that like, I knew that I could stay on the beach and go back to my house. There was no other destinations that I needed. So I would train. I would put my AVP train in there. Right after the training, I would schedule the camp practice. So I'd say, come watch professionals practice. That fires people up. Yeah. Right afterwards, we're going to run the exact same practice with you guys. So now you're training there. Uh, and we go back to like I was Airbnb. So then we would go back and they would live with me and we would just talk volleyball all afternoon and night. And it was awesome. You know, I didn't need to create a whole different life or different destinations or just going to the gym that might be five or 10 minutes from your house. Mm-hmm. Like the process of getting out of your house, going to the gym parking, doing whatever you got to do at the gym, coming out, parking, taking off your clothes, showering, 
you're losing an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, not gymming. Yeah. That's why for me, a garage gym is everything. Oh, like, yeah, it saves me so much time. And I realize that some people need a certain environment to feel motivated or to sure. escape from whatever it is. But for, for me, it works. And then uh, we, we kept doing that. Loved it. Lost a lot of sleep. Uh, you're just trying to make money to play beach volleyball and never cracked like the top five or, or even seven in the US. And so I wasn't really bringing home the bacon in terms of playing, but coaching was keeping me alive. Those vacations were keeping me alive. And then people just started asking for more. And after they started asking for more, we ran local classes and we started doing travel clinics and camps. And uh, then I said, I need to find a way to make money where I'm not crushing my body. And where if I am not there, like what happens if I get hurt? What happens if I break a leg? Can I still get out on the beach and coach? Yeah, it turns out now I can effectively. But if I need to be sick, I got no income coming. There's no way that it can happen. So I said, what's a good way to create some other form of income where I don't have to be there all the time? Because I keep saying the same exact thing to every freaking athlete, answering the same questions. And I'm like, right. why doesn't everybody know this yet? And that's when the YouTube channel started. I was like, I'm tired of answering this. I'm going to put a YouTube channel like, and I'm going to answer every question that everybody gives us. And I, then I could just point to that and they'll come to practice more prepared. People are still answering, asking the same questions. <laughs> yeah. But at least I put the effort of all of the answers, my entire brain, soul, whatever, my entire life's like body of work from exercise science and having to do with volleyball. Mm -hmm. It's somewhere on the internet, whether it's on our YouTube channel or in a way more in-depth way uh, on our betteratbeach.com. But that's where that came from, the the recorded courses. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's going really well. So now it just keeps growing, not like out of control, like the, the Cinderella stories. It takes constant effort. And one person talked about a flywheel, one of my mentors. He said, a flywheel takes, you have to put in a lot of initial inertia. Mm. And at some point, you've put in enough mechanical energy on your own that it carries itself. Yeah. And he goes, you just want to push until you get to that point. And I've never felt like I've gotten to that point, but some programs have. So some programs yeah. within the company, I don't touch, I don't hear about, I don't answer a single email and it's great and it's working and I'm proud of that. But then all the other ones, you're always like, all right, how can we push this? Like now we're helping coaches. So we've got a club directorship program where you can give uh, an entire education system to all the kids in your club or on your high school team Amazing. to make it way easier on those high school coaches and club directors and get everybody on the same page, which is a huge advantage. Um, <clears throat> but now this is a new program that takes a whole nother different system. So again, we're back to back to creating that initial energy. It's lighting the match for the fusion reaction. Lots of initial. I'm a big yep. nerd. It's okay. That's no, awesome. So let's talk about a couple of those programs. Like uh, what what range of programs do you guys have at Better at Beach? Again, for the uninitiated. Oh, this is Oof. a big question. There's the look. That's what you yeah. can tell. This is going to be a good one. Uh, what are your favorite programs within Better at Beach? Maybe let's go with that. Or some new I mean, ones that you're excited about. Our seven-day and our three-day camps, the camps are just awesome. Uh, we, we keep finding 
amazing people. Uh, we design the whole week so that it's fun, so that it's physically intense, so that there's learning. We we separate ourselves a little bit from some other volleyball, uh, beach volleyball vacation companies because we're so intense on the learning and training part. It's like, no, you're here straight up to improve. That's where most of your time is getting, or can you improve as an athlete? Can you improve as a person? Can you improve as a coach? Uh, so there's playing opportunities and everybody plays every day and there's tons of, sure. not tons of open time, but there's open time, but you're there. If you're not there to, to somehow improve, you're, bad you're, you're for sure in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say learning, what, what do you mean by that? Like if, from a, some, if somebody's trying to visualize what this kind of camp looks like. Yeah. Uh, show up on Sunday, we do a big initiation and we start a little bit of uh, goal setting on Sunday night and we introduce you to everybody, you know, big lighthearted thing. Then early on Monday, uh, depending on the time of year, we start at eight or eight 30 and we have a two to two and a half hour practice with full demos. Uh, You have a one to 10 player to coach ratio, I guess a maximum. So keep it really tight. Then we have a lunch break. During that lunch break, I run some personal development sessions where we talk about how do we take volleyball and apply this to your life? How do you treat your partner? How do you find your weaknesses? And then create a system for yourself so that you can perform better. Because if you have a certain swing in beach volleyball that you know you get a kill on more than any other swing, it can't be an accident. You have to intentionally design your offense so that that swing becomes available most often. And players just kind of, they don't design their offense. They pass forward. Maybe they get some footwork, but they're not attempting to set themselves up for their best swing or their best offense. So we teach them how to do that on the court. And then we immediately take them off the court and we go, where are you strongest in your life? Like what makes you feel the most confident? How do we set up systems that put you in that environment consistently again and again so that you're living the best version of your life. And so we do a lot of those personal development talks. And then in the afternoon, we have another training, um, two, two and a half hours. Then after that, we have like king and queen of the court tournament styles. And then we have a big dinner where people are sometimes falling asleep because they're so tired. Yeah. (laughs) This this Kingstonian Canadian boy would be uh, soaking up the sun rays and passing out by 6 p.m. Oh, man, we get some lobsters out there. Dude. I bet they you do. Don't anticipate the power of that sun. Sponsored by uh, oh. sunscreen. Yeah. But then our, our online programs are really where we built our name. Sure. And for those, we, we, have a, we have a course. So something that takes you step-by-step step through the principles of every skill. And then attached to each one of those is a training program. Oh, cool. So we give you uh, drills, exercises, stretches sometimes to do every day. And we always give you modifications. So it's like, okay, if you don't have a partner and you're in front of the house, here's what you do. If you've got a court, here's what you do. So we made sure that it was because when we were building it, it was COVID. It's like no one is allowed on a court. So how do we still keep them improving? And then we use video analysis in those courses. And we say, here's an example of it in a championship AVP match right? Here's exactly what he's doing. And so we have one for each skill, 
we have a ton of practice plans for coaches and for people who just want to run their own practices. And we have a really strong workout programs like mobility for volleyball, athletic foundations, uh, vertical jump program, and uh, our arm swing program, our fix your arm swing program is people really love that. Sweet. I've got so much content to dive into. It's been one of those things I've been building the business and your, your, uh, your programs are on my list of things to do for personal development, but That's I'm good. just going to come down to the camp now as well. So, you know, I mean, uh, you won't regret it. Oh no, God, no. My wife and I have been talking about that forever. We met playing volleyball. So anyways, um, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, what's, uh, what's in the pipeline? What's, what's the hot new stuff? coming in or what are the upgrades that you're hoping to do eventually, I guess? Uh, so more coaching clinics mm. is something that we're, we're not missing. Cause we have a lot of coaches who join our program and they're like, I'm here to become a better coach. And then they get all those tools and like, Oh, that's what you look for. Okay. That's how you teach it. So they get in there, but we haven't specifically said to coaches here is a program exactly for you. So really it's it's not building out the program because we have that. It's building out the marketing and the messaging to the coaches, which you can have one program and you just sell it or talk about it in a slightly different way and you attack an, an, an entire new audience. Yeah. And that's what our program can do. So I, I do want to run some more coaching clinics. Um, and other than that, just continuing to make things better and better. Our, our, our podcast is doing pretty well. Um, so if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're making the rounds on volleyball podcasts, go ahead and check it out. But yeah, really we're headed exactly in the direction that we want to head where we can help juniors, where we can help players, where we can help coaches. And the next thing that we have, that's the big one is the facility. So I'm I'm going to build a, a sports park, essentially, that you can play beach at, you can train, we can run our camps there. We're going to have Airbnbs and either a dorm or a hotel so that athletes and teams can all come in together, all train on this giant sports complex uh, with beach courts being the focal point, being the main business, I guess. Uh, but then we're going to add pickleball courts. I'm going to have a full fitness studio. Uh, for me, I'm going to include every sport that I like to do. So there's going to be basketball there. There's going to be batting cages. Uh, there's going to be like a little maybe golf simulator sure. and a rock climbing wall. So if you're a sports junkie, this is where you want to go on vacation. Yeah. There was, yeah. Uh, this reminds me just the description that you're kind of putting out there. Um, we just went to a tournament in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. we have this facility. It's called Spooky Nook. And it is 700,000 square feet of everything you just described. And it is the Amazing. coolest thing I've ever seen from that perspective. Um, nice. Yeah, write that one down. Yep, I <laughs> um, am. And it's so interesting that you say that because I swear I'm, seg- I'm segueing back, but when we were there with the parents, all we could do was look at each other and be like, why don't we have one of these? Or something scaled appropriately, but like, why not? Yeah. Oh, this is nice. I'm looking oh, yeah. at it. Oh, oh man. It's, yeah, uh, this is really similar to what I want. You should go and check it out because it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to do it justice by just looking at it too. Yeah. If you're listening cool. to the, uh, the audio version, you're missing nice. my spaces, which are really exciting right now. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to hack them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 
I, I keep laughing and saying like, oh yeah, uh, all we need to do is get three people to win the lottery and this will be easy. But uh, there's so many reasons why it could happen, right? Like there's no reason um, why these, we couldn't have more of these places. Just somebody has to take the initiative. Somebody needs the initiative and that, that takes a lot. Somebody has to be willing to yeah. take on the risk and, and the personal risk and the social risk of, no, I don't have the money. Uh, so I have to go around and I have to demonstrate how good this idea is and how much fun it'll be and how much people will love it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to demonstrate those to the people who have the money and love investing. So it, it takes a little bit of an ego check because you're now you're this big tough guy with a great idea, but now you have to learn how to ask for help, you know, and that help is financial and, and Mm -hmm. a lot of people get stuck there where they're like, I don't have this, but if you're an athlete and you're on a team, right? Great. You can shoot three pointers. Does your team have anybody who can rebound? No, you got to go find that athlete. Yeah. So um, people need to get used to it in that way. When they have great ideas, go yeah. out and ask for help. Well, and coming from the guy that opened a, a small gym, but we're doing, uh, we're happy with where we're at. It's any idea of getting investment. I just get like, I get all cringy inside and it's the exact same thing. It's just an ego check where there's no, there's no good reason for it. It's just, I, you need to put it aside, decide what you want to do and just accept that it's going to take a lot of freaking work from other people too. Yeah. 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 Or just their money. Sometimes yeah. well, it's just sorry, one yeah, bank just transfer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's so simple. You put it like that. Hey guys, I get this great idea and all you need to do is press about six buttons and you're in. <laughs> That's it. Don't even need to tell you what it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. There are um, people who have silly amounts of money out there and people who like want to see other people succeed as well. So if you, you know, like you're doing this podcast, you start developing an audience, people start rooting for you. And then there's a percentage of those people who love investing, love seeing programs built because of their input. You know, there's something prideful yeah. about that too, because at the end of, of their life, when they're writing on their graveyard, they're, whatever on their gravestone, Mm -hmm. they can be like, yeah, my life, my work helped build this amazing sports complex in this community that now supports kids who don't have fathers or who who don't have parents. And now it's like, because of my work, I was able to assist somebody in making the world or their community a better place. And so that's a great thing that some investors look at and they take pride in, in what they can build. It's not always like Shark Tank, you know, where it's like, is it going to make me money? Is it going to make me money? Sure, smart people want to see that they're not going to lose their money, that you are going to succeed and keep working. But they also want to see something cool with their name on it or their energy behind it that they like. They, they take their dollars and say, yeah, this will make the world a better place. Here you go. Yeah. So if that's you, please inquire at stronger.com. 100%. Dude, anytime you need an investor, you just keep saying it. That's why I keep announcing the Chattanooga facility. I know I can't do it on my own. Well, one second, it's got a name to it now. Oh, hell yes. (laughs) Hell yes. (laughs) Now it's got a name. It's going to be real. Yeah. No, it's awesome. What's so, you know, what's what's the realistic timeline or something like that? What are you thinking? As fast as possible. Yeah. I look every day at real estate. It's just Mm -hmm. something has to be open, something has to sell. I'm contacting and, and texting and emailing with uh, real estate agents. And in that environment, I've got the town that I'm focused on, which is Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am open to doing it in other places. It's just, I 
I don't want to create some place in the middle of nowhere where people sure. only vacation. I want to give beach volleyball and a nice sports facility to a city, yeah. you know, where, where no one else is, is taking that up. And Chattanooga doesn't have, doesn't have a beach volleyball facility. And, and I want to be the one that, that helps bring it there and grows it in that city. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You need to be careful. I'm going to spend a bunch of money after this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Katie. That's awesome. Um, no, fantastic. Holy crap. It's been an hour. <laughs> talking's awesome. easy. Oh yeah. Talking's easy. No, yeah, we're, we're I know why to... Joe Rogan loves it. Like well, seriously, right. Three hours. It's, it's yeah. Um, one second. Let me consult my list of things. I want to make sure I asked you. Um, Oh, right. So with this is a bit of a change in tone, but with your exercise uh, science background, your SNC coaching background and the mix of the coaching background, let's imagine if we will say uh, a 35 year old volleyball athlete has played before. Cause this is a big part of my demographic. Um, they're, they're starting to get concerned about longevity in the sport. They haven't done a lot of formal training um, but you know, it's that, that avatar they're talking about that they're eager to do something. They're, they're that trying the flashlight style thing. Um, what would be a, a couple of, uh, starting points for you, for them? More water, better food, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> more water, better food, less booze. Like mm. I think people go to sleep earlier and need their bodies physically need more sleep. The more you drink alcohol, mm. like that six hours that could make you feel fresh if you're a rock star. Most people, you, you want to look seven and a half to somewhere to nine, sure, yeah. something like that. Um, but you can feel fresh on six and seven, or you can feel like garbage after ten hours of sleep just because of what you put your uh, put in your body the day before. And alcohol is one of those big ones that, of course, you can't wake up out of bed and you can't get out of bed at six a.m. and it doesn't feel good. But I, I challenge the people who are on that regular alcohol train, mm -hmm. get off it for 14 days. Don't say you're giving it up for a month. Don't say you're giving it up for a year. 10, 14 days. By that ninth day, you jump out of bed. It's in just having that regular, I'm having water every day. I'm having enough water. I'm putting good food into my body. And we all know what good food is. Yeah. Like everybody overcomplicates it. You oh, yeah. know if you're eating crap or not, right? So just go have good food. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. And then wake up on that 10th and 11th day and see how you can just boom, fire up, how you recover from workouts better, how like the rest of your life is a, a little bit easier. So that'd be my number one. You know, Love it. Fix your diet, fix your sleep. Love it. And... Gosh, so many segues are so good. Um, we talked about uh, getting the environment for success, so getting a training partner, training, training community, um, and how that important that is. Um, from your perspective, again, with uh, the SNC background and the, um, all that good stuff and from what you've seen, what are some really big mistakes that people make when they're starting in the weight room? They go too hard too early. Mm. I, and trainers botch this all the time. Oh yeah. You know, you get somebody and you're like a 24 year old personal trainer calling yourself a big shot. And then somebody comes in who hasn't worked out in 10 years yeah. and they are sore for the next week. 
Well, that's the point, right? Just to make them incredibly sore. Because then if you don't make them sore, then, you know, you don't know what you're doing, obviously. Right. It's not a workout if you're not sore. It's not a like, workout if you can't walk. It's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. No, like, you do want them to feel a little bit, right? Sure, yeah. You want them to feel, but it's, it's very akin to kids' sports. Mm-hmm. On day one or from ages three to 14, all you want to do is help them fall in love with the sport. You're not trying to make them a better athlete. You're trying to create an environment that says, can I make this fun enough that this person wants to come tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And then once they've got that momentum built, they'll just keep going. And then if they want to improve, if they're that type of person, then they'll take it on their own. But if on day one, you know, your, your girls are bleeding from the forearms because you're hammering jump serves at them as another, you know, that same 24 year old personal trainer, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the kid won't come back and then you're going to spend more time trying to get kids on your team than you are actually coaching. So for personal trainers or people who are there, you can't push somebody so hard on day one. You have to show them how they enjoy it allow them to improve and feel accomplished, set a micro goal that they can't do. Like, all right, we can't touch our toes in day one. Hey, day 14, we're going to touch our toes. And if they hit it in day six, boom, you set a goal and they feel like they've accomplished something. But you can't not set goals, uh, especially micro goals, because then they never feel a sense of accomplishment. They never feel like anything's moving and you can't crush them on day one or week one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And that's, that's very similar to what I tell a lot of new people when we're going through, you know, quote unquote assessment or whatever it is, an intro session, say something along the lines of, Hey, um, I want you to leave thinking I could have done more because when tomorrow comes, there's a good chance you're going to say, I'm glad I didn't do more. <laughs> and that's great. Cause I need you to train the next day too. Yep. Or whatever it is, whenever next day. So I love that. Um, I had a question. It'll come back. It's not coming back. It's fine. Um, oh, it's right there. You were talking about, oh, goal saying, um, how do you approach the goal setting aspect from somebody that has really very little knowledge in uh, a training environment? Let's say, so, you know, the same kind of person no experience. Um, and they, they see, they walk in the gym and they see people squatting 315 and mm-hmm. bench in 225 all of a sudden. And they, they go do their thing. They do some body weight squats or lunges and they, they realize how hard these things are, for example. Yeah. What are some strategies that have worked or that you've heard that can work for this population that says, you know what, I feel like I'm so far away from my main goal. How mm-hmm. do I even break this into little chunks? Yeah. Well, number one is their their goals have to be associated with their whys. So one thing that we do uh, in in our volleyball courses and our, especially our personal programs is we we have people say, "Where does volleyball fit into your life?" When you look in five and ten years, what how is volleyball a part of your life? And when they say, "You know, I play because it's fun." Okay, we start that. But then I it's my job to ask why four more times. Why do you think it's fun? Some people say it's athletic. Some people say the people are cool. And then you have to do that. Well, why do you want to be athletic? Why is that important to you? Or, okay, so you enjoy the people there. 
all right, well, why is it important to you to hang out with people? Yeah, and so you dive deeper every now and then, and then you get them, you get to remind them where they're headed. One of the big things that I always did when I was training is I, I just put this picture, this vision of my head having won tournaments. And I've won a bunch of tournaments in, in my life, but being able to hold on to that picture when you're in the middle of pain, when you're going through the, you know, the last, you know, reps number six, seven, eight, right? Going through that, you have to say, where am I going? Not this is the pain I'm experiencing, but this is the way to that goal, to being there. So the first thing for goal setting, you have to understand why a goal is actually important. And if it's for some people, if it's for, to be able to pick up their kids, you know, when they're 60 or to be able to pick up their grandkids and push them on swings and still jog with their grandkids, then you have an answer to help them push. And that's how you steer the conversation. You always remind them of their big goal. Aside from that, you just just break things down into tiny little chunks. And it takes a knowledgeable person to know how big those chunks should be. But uh, my brother had a pretty (laughs) overweight friend that he used to go running with and he used to push him. And he would just say like, no, 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 I can't, I can't go anymore. I can't go anymore. And my brother would say it, let's just, let's just get to that, that light pole. Sure. You know, what's the next thing that you can accomplish? And the light pole was whatever, 10, 20 yards away. And then once you get there, you're like, okay, one more, you know, (laughs) and they can say yes or no at that point. (laughs) Yeah. So it it takes a knowledgeable person to set a reasonable, tiny goal. And Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're accomplishing something new every day, I would say now, you know, that that's where, that's how long it takes you. All right. So let's push it. Let's see if we can extend it to three days, but you should not go two weeks without experiencing some sort of, of improvement in either number, repetition, heart rate, uh, anything like that, that people are concerned with, Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't be progressing every day. And I think, I think a lot of guys get obsessed with that where they, they squat 225 one day. And they're like, okay, I, I did, you know, five sets of five, 225. Tomorrow I'm doing 230. And then the third day in that week, if they want to lift legs three days a week, right, then they're doing 235. It's like, no, 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 no. Stay here. Do this efficiently. We're going to move up in 10 or 14 days. Progressive overload so that you don't injure yourself is key because consistency is the number one thing that will get you improving. See, Mark, you're backwards, obviously. Progressive overload just happens by adding weight. That's, I mean, you're, it's okay. It's a very rookie mistake, but you know, it's not a natural progression of proper, proper training stress. It's, I got to reverse myself. You have to add the weight. (laughs) You just got to do your fabs. Yeah. I progressively overloaded. Like the first set, I did 225. Second set, I did 245. Exactly. Third set, I I almost broke my back because I couldn't handle 265. I see you ain't, you ain't got, you ain't drinking a gallon of milk. Oh gosh. Places that we all come from. We've grown. It's okay. Um, Yeah. No, I, from, from someone that used to be very, very tied to adding weight to the bar, every session or every uh, completely arbitrary interval that I made up Mm -hmm. in my head. um, It's a very, it's a very toxic thing to get stuck in to be honest. And I had yeah. this conversation with an athlete before early, early this week, actually, because there's going to be a time where you can't do that anymore. And if your expectation is I'm doing something wrong because I can't add weight every session or every week or whatever it is, then all of a sudden you're a failure. And why I'm even training. What's the whole point in this? I suck. Bye. 
Right. Then people get, they just quit because they're not getting the result that they think they should be. That's such an interesting and perfect take on it. Because if you set the precedent that you're going to improve every session, that's what you expect. Then you feel like you fail. You feel like you hit a cap and you don't know where to go from there. Well, and even worse, so you feel like you shouldn't ask for help because you failed. Mm -hmm. And if you just did the program right, you would have been, you would have been great. And, you know, you're just clearly doing something wrong when in reality, um, it's just expectation management. Somebody comes in and they have 20 pounds off their squat with a session with me uh, relative to the thing that the weight they did before. My first question is what the hell is wrong? Isn't what the hell is wrong with you? It's how's your day going? This is okay. Mm -hmm. I hate to tell you, but this is normal. Like there are times where it's going to go down and awesome. That means we're embracing the process. I I look at that as a positive experience when it happens for the first time, because it's like, Hey, that's, that's fantastic. We're what a beautiful opportunity to practice like real auto-regulation. Your body's not ready for this today. Right. And that's cool. Just change the stimulus. Yeah. And they look at me, they're like, Oh, that makes sense. It's like, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's funny when, uh, when different bodies respond in different ways to different styles of workouts, some people with speed workouts, their bodies, their, their nervous system gets crushed and they feel so sore versus somebody lifting like really heavy. Um, but probably obviously slower if it's heavy. Uh, <clears throat> and then the different types of stimulus make different people sore and a good trainer has to look for that and say, ah, okay, so now we can really design it. Right. But you can't tell that off the bat. You're only, you can only tell that as a trainer, if you're paying attention, mm-hmm. Do you have do you have any telltale signs of crappy trainers? Like, Ooh, like so, the, the one or two top things, if you're making an Instagram post, oh, the, the two gosh. things that you should just run oh. if your personal trainer does X. That's okay, a little gonna, less obvious. No, it's good. We're gonna extend this podcast by another three hours. Here we go. <laughs> no, um, okay, let me think about this for a second. Okay, my my preface with this is I know and I'm trying to become aware that I exist in an echo chamber and I only surround myself with people on social media and all that kind of stuff that um, I respect and I want to learn from. And I have to remember that every once in a while because these questions get contextualized very different within that atmosphere because Mm -hmm. I don't even see half the stuff anymore that I don't want to see. And I'm very lucky to have that, but it also gives me this, this idea that the world is perfect. And then you go to a public gym sometimes and there's uh there's some shenanigans going on. Um, yeah. My, you forget with, with, with how much you look at in, Instagram and how much yeah. you study and pay attention to it. You forget that 99% of the people are not following what you're following. Exactly. Because like what's in your phone seems to be your whole world. And you're like, Oh, it's everywhere. It's all over the news. Yeah. And then you talk to somebody who's not in your circle of yeah. that genre, mm-hmm. and they're like, "What? <laughs> That's what that RPE? What are you even talking about?" Um, I'm no, like, so- there are volleyball courts everywhere in this country, and people are like, "I've never seen a beach volleyball court." <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean beach volleyball? Is that that thing with like the big inflatable ball? Or yeah, no. Um, no so my my first one would be something along the lines of trainers that say with with very basic compound movements that you should not do this movement because it's going to injure or puts too much stress on a thing. So squats are bad for your knees, deadlifts are bad for your back, uh, presses are bad for your shoulders. Like these, these very mechanically driven things that have this nocebic aspect, 
Um, that drives me nuts. That's definitely coming from my, my barbell medicine aspect. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know nocebo, it's just the opposite of placebo. So if placebo can say, hey, this sugar pill, if I tell you it's going to have a positive effect, um, it could have a positive effect, even though there's nothing to it. Nocebo is just the opposite. So if I say, hey, squats are bad for your knees and you go to do squats, um, you can have a negative effect just by the expectation that you're going to have a negative effect because somebody told you. Yep. Um, so that that's a big one for me. Um, and, and along those lines, uh, had these conversations with trainers that are very, um, let's call it mecha- biomechanical in the sense of you need to move this way. And you need to be really careful if you don't move this way. And this is the way you need to move. And my model is the only way that you need to mm. move. And it creates a lot of problems. Um, but uh, those are two of the probably my top things are coming to my head right now. But again, I've got my echo chamber. So what are yours? Yeah. What do you what do you think in there? No, I, I, I did like yours where the whole my way. For me, it's a turnoff. Oh, yeah. And my wife as well, where it's. I've become very good at explaining whys, I think, in volleyball, especially because I learned the game as an adult. Sure. So things didn't come automatic. Like all of the pain points and little things that I need to fix or things I need to learn from the start are very fresh. And because because I don't work with teams over a long period of time, I work with lots of different individuals. I get thrown a lot of different questions. So I have to be able, and I don't say just do it. You know, I, yeah. I, I like to give a reason because that's how I learn. I, if I don't understand the why behind it, I'm not fully bought in until you make it make sense to me. Yeah. And so that's the way that I explain things when I'm coaching and I've had to explain it in so many different ways to so many different people that I've got that big tool belt. And when somebody says, well, you just do this, you just do it because, you, oh, yeah. God. you know, <laughs> this is the right way. I say, yeah, you can do it this way. This is why I do it and I teach it this way. So during this session, when you're with me, I want you to give it a shot. If you want to throw it out as soon as you walk off this practice court, that's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings, but I showed you one way that I have seen is successful with a lot of people. Yeah. No, and from a training side, again, here's the three hour long where we just dive into everything we don't like. Um, But from the training side, it was the same. I had a conversation last week with some athletes where we were doing uh, heel elevated squats because <laughs> his range of motion wasn't fantastic because there's weaknesses and yada, yada, yada. So I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this. And he was talking to another coach and said, oh, yeah, you know, um, the heel elevated are just like a compensation mechanism because you have weakness in here and here. And he came to me, he's like, oh, so which, which one? I'm like, oh, well, both and neither. All models are wrong, but some are useful. Um, it's sure you can have those things. Um, how are we going to address those things? Here's here's one way to do it. Here's our way. Here's three more different ways that we could try eventually. Yeah. Um, it's not that one is right or wrong. It's that we need to figure out what works for you right now in the context of all of these different things. And I think as a coach, that that's something I've always struggled with because in my mind, people want the answer and they're paying me to give the answer. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have a nice, clear, concise well-constructed answer then it's in my mind it was oh you're not qualified when in reality if i look at the coaches i learned from so much um both for volleyball and um the training side of things and the nutrition side of things 
I, I respect them because they live in the gray. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to be a respectable coach that people look up to, I, I realize that it's okay to be in the gray as long as you're very open about it and people, yeah. people embrace that. Yeah. That's to, to be able to be in front of somebody who, you know, there's a respect you have when you see somebody actively thinking about the solution that you asked for, you know, some people it's like, Oh, you just do this. I think a lot of people can smell BS, you know, when you're starting to make stuff up. So if you feel like you're the one person who has to answer everything immediately and you just throw it down and then you start seeing a bunch of those kind of disbelief faces, you know, like scrunching eyebrows and like, ah, okay, okay. Instead of, well, let's talk this out together. Here's what this coach says. Here's what this coach says. Here's what these athletes do. And then here's what 99% of the world's top athletes do. So I'm going to show you what the 99% do. You know, there is a 1% for sure. Phil Dahlhauser is goofy footed. You know, (laughs) (laughs) is he successful? Yeah. There are certain things that makes him successful in the goofy footed environment. Right. So you can, you have to note those flaws and those opportunities for them to say, listen, I'm, (laughs) it's not my way or the highway here. It's just, this is what I know. These are the stats. This is the experience. This is everybody else's experience. So here you go. And if you're, that's one of the problems of becoming a, it's one of the things you have to go through becoming a young trainer or young coach Mm -hmm. that you haven't seen enough coaches and athletes to know the right way and all the wrong ways and all the micro right ways and, and, or the shortcuts, you know, where you honor a wrong path and then you can, you can write that ship again. Mm-hmm. So if you stick with coaching and training for a long time, and then you continue to learn, man, then, then you become the 1% of the 1%. Yeah. And this is where I, I wish I can go back in time and tell my, my former self um, that got convinced by this, group of people that um, this is the right way and this is the only way and this is the only thing that matters and this is how we emphasize and we distribute training resources to do this only big thing because it's Mm -hmm. the only thing that matters and this is how we do it so it's the perfect way I just want to be like snap out of it dude it's not real it's wild like so we talk a lot about strength maximum strength uh, yeah, when it comes yeah. to to vertical jump and and speed and plyometrics, I can name many Olympians who do not load their spine, who don't put you know mm-hmm. a weight on their back, don't do heavy deadlifts. They focus on speed development primarily. Um, there's a strength component, of course, but they stay away from the heavy stuff. I can show you 11, six touchers, 12 foot touchers that can rock on a 400 pound deadlift, you know? Um, so there are so many ways to attack these different problems. And you just, so long as the, uh, so long as the reasoning is sound and the science backs it, there are many ways to get there. Yep. You just, you can embrace all of them. And then an eye like coming from a lot of different schools or learning from a lot of different people and then making your own program based on the best parts of each. Yeah. And like the, the individualization of training is so much, so much fun too, right? The way I think about it is I'm a very visual guy and a very visual coach and a learner. I've got a switchboard. If 
of different dials. So here's my max strength dial. Here's my power mm-hmm. output dial. Here's my reactivity. Here's my, you know, all these different things. And what one athlete needs on this dial might be the exact opposite of what the other athlete needs. And figuring out that puzzle is, is so much fun when you get to just play around with it. But at first it can be so frustrating because you, you think when you come to this world of, you know, max strength is all that matters or plyometrics are all that matter or whatever school of thought you come into coaching with, it can, it's like shattering the glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. right you think okay this is it and then you get this freak of you know they're naturally powerful or they're naturally strong but they require something else to be developed and it's like oh crap what do we do now yeah and then you hit the low point of the dunning-kruger curve and it's all up from here yeah you know there's a rumor i'm not actually sure if it's true or not but it was said that troy field he's probably got the best vertical definitely on the avp right now on the men's side Mm -hmm. uh that he doesn't or didn't for a very long time, even while he still had his vertical, doesn't lift legs, doesn't mm-hmm. do squats, doesn't do do Olympic lifts. You know, he he focuses on speed development. Again, I don't know if that's true, but you've never seen a highlight of him lifting in the gym. Maybe that's yeah. a personal choice from the Instagram stuff, but he's always banging balls. His chest is always above the net. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's like it's it's always so interesting to have these conversations because people will super dichotomize it for some reason or another. They'll be like, Hey, you know, this person, uh, can jump super high and they only do squats and deadlifts. This person can jump super high and they've never touched a barbell and both people will say that they're right. And it's, it's so, it's so easy to get caught to, to get caught in the dichotomy of I've got to pick one. Right. Where in reality, it's like, I mean, first of all, they're probably freaks anyways. So mm-hmm. it's always funny to be like, oh, oh man, anecdotal th- based on single athletes is so well, stupid. Yeah. And, you know, I think I always go back to the to Ronnie Coleman aspect. It was, it was something about this is a weird segue, but it'll make sense. He, there was an interview with, with him and they were talking about his arm routine. And he's like, oh, how did you get these, you know, 28 inch biceps or whatever it was? And like, oh, I did this, 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 this. And it was like, oh, what were they before? It's like, oh, 26. And it's like, okay, well, what are we even talking about then? So you look at these right. freak athletes that can jump 40, 45 inches. It's like, oh, I did this program and it added all this height. Well, where were you jumping before? Oh, 36. And it's like, well, okay, let's, uh, call a spade a spade let's call a freak a freak yeah if you came out of high school dunking yeah <laughs> yeah you know, with, with little to no training experience it's you're gonna have yeah. some good things happening but i took on this athlete and we added four inches and now he's dunking like crazy it's like, okay cool, cool bro. <laughs> yeah oh i think that is a beautiful time mm-hmm. to call it because a uh I've exhausted many of my good questions. B, Claire is crying like a crazy lady upstairs. Oh, and uh, we've we've held Mark for a very long time. And we That's right. I, I don't have my baby yet. I, I got another six weeks before my life changes. There you so, go. Get to yeah. the beach. You can make the best of it. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's lovely. I'm very, very lucky to have Claire and very lucky with everything. So I'm not complaining. Well, Mark, um, with all of these things, all these projects that you're on, where can people uh, get a hold of you? Where can they learn from you? What's the best uh, course of action for them to learn more? 
Sure. Uh, if you want to reach out to, for any personal questions or just follow me, you can check out my Instagram. That's where I'm probably the most active. It's at Mark Burrick, M-A-R-K-B-U-R-I-K. If you want to check out anything beach volleyball, I've got a great YouTube channel uh, packed with videos. It's better at beach volleyball. Same thing with the podcast, better at beach volleyball. And uh, we have that, that Instagram name as well. And then I'm starting, uh, have started, we're 12 episodes in to another little pet project of mine called Entrepreneur Athlete, where we talk to people exactly like you, Jordan, uh, people who are trying to turn their sport or fitness passion into a business for themselves. So we have all of those discussions and it circles around sports, athletics, and heavily on the entrepreneurial side of things and how people are, are building their business. And that's called Entrepreneur Athlete. And if people want to check it out online, uh, the URL is athleticstartup.com. Well, that's smart. Cool. See another project. We need to, we'll, we'll have you back on again and keep chatting with this stuff. I can't stop, man. I well, no. can't stop. Won't stop. Develop the, that, that bullet list. <laughs> go, go, go sit down, Mark. Go, go sit down and think about what you did for a bit and okay, we're recovered. Now go. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really appreciate this, man. This has been fantastic. Uh, we'll have to do it again and uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having right. me. Take care, bud. Later.